Hey gang, Turner here with your off-week content for the Gimme the Loot podcast. This week, we're speaking with the Trials of the Apocalypse podcast, a actual play based on a couple of different games that use the Powered by the Apocalypse engine. The DM of this podcast was actually a participant in another podcast that I tried to pilot earlier this year that didn't pan out but was uh, a great collaborator and a blast to play with. So I wanted to make sure we got the opportunity to have him come by and talk a little bit about his show and talk about some different game systems. We're going to have our number of guest quests between now and the end of the year that really are focused on exploring different game systems from Star Wars to the One Ring to Monster of the Week. So keep an ear out for those as we try and fill in some firsthand information of systems other than Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, really appreciate you guys being patient with our slightly disrupted release schedule over the last month. The good news is as we get into the end of the year, we've lined some stuff up that'll allow us to get back into the rhythm and really sink our teeth into some cool events in November, like Gimme the Belt, our charity event, some patron events for our Baba level patrons, bonus content, and maybe an extra surprise here and there. Be sure to check out the streams on Mondays. Be sure to vote. Dear God, be sure to vote. Enjoy the interview this week. Back with a campaign episode next week as we head downhill towards the end of Baba's Ark. And be sure to mark your calendar for November 12th, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern for Gimme the Belt to support Game to Grow. Come on out, support your team. We'll be publishing brackets as soon as I get the guest DMs locked in. So keep an eye out on the socials for that. Of course, remember, Gimme the Loot's not family-friendly content. And this is a rebroadcast of a stream, so the audio will be a little bit wonkier or less edited. But either way, it's a great conversation about a cool system, and we hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Hey, Sneak Attack, everybody. Welcome to a kind of impromptu, not quite. Uh, episode of the Guest Quest, the tabletop community role-playing interview show brought to you by the Gimme the Loot podcast, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that is uh, trying to find a pen. Joining <laughs> me this week is the uh, Trials of the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, here to talk with them tonight with me is... Oh, me. Uh, <laughs> I am Harlan. You guys know me. I got, I got caught slipping just now. Uh, he, he threw me off. He introduced him, but then said I was going to be the one. So, yes, it is me. Yeah, it's it's the same way that we've done it every single other time. Nope, it's no, it's cool. not. Yeah. Usually, no, the, usually the guest goes <laughs> first. Similar. The guest goes first. Very similar. If you're if on yeah, in the no. chat, the guest goes first. And then he says, joining me with him and then i come in so you do me off that time maybe i say hello to the guests at, at most uh so <laughs> trials of the apocalypse is an actual play anthology podcast uh that tells humorous thrilling and heartfelt stories with the powered by apocalypse games uh for each new system they showcase they explain the basics of the game and collaboratively 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 uh, build their uh, their characters and their setting. Uh, you can start from the beginning of their show, or you can jump in uh, whichever story you want. Uh, games they've played so far include Apocalypse World, Undying, Ghost Lines, Brindlewood Bay, which we'll certainly talk about some, The Watch, and Monster of the Week. How you doing, man? Doing great. 
Uh, and also, we just, I haven't updated the bio yet, but we did just add Pig Smoke to that list as well. So uh, that's a game of uh, magical academics um, and really stupid bureaucracy. It's pretty fun. I thought it was competitive barbecue, t- the TTP RPG. <laughs> I thought it was like Bobby I mean, Flay's TTRPG. You want to you give me Bobby Flay's TTRPG? I will play that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh and uh so yeah it's small small cast tonight so we uh we aren't going to bother rolling for initiative um but we were kind of going through the um going through uh the the podcast and the system a little bit earlier and harlan had so many questions about apocalypse world and powered by the apocalypse uh i hope he, he didn't use them all up harlan why don't you ask some of those some juicy questions you had beforehand I don't understand the power of the apocalypse. So let's start there. So yeah. trying to get grasp my head around it. And like one of the things that the wiki said at the beginning was like, uh, Power by the Apocalypse isn't the name of a kind of game. It's not a set yep. of game elements or even yep. core design thrust on coherent movements. It is used the game trade dress signify. It signifies only that the game was inspired by the apocalypse world. Like, so I'm just like, wait, it's not game rules. Nope. It's the setting can't be the same because they've got a game Absolutely called the <laughs> where you play as dragons. I'm like, wait, this, that has nothing to do with what I read about it. So can you, can you, with, with what you know about it and you, you're the master of it, as according to us, you are right now the master of this, uh, what you know about it. Uh, yeah. What can you help me with? Yeah, so uh, Apocalypse World is this really great game by uh, Vincent and Meg Baker. Uh, it, a lot of people found it really inspirational. Um, and I think they knew that as you know, it was coming out and they started getting feedback from people. Uh, and they wanted to like, let people, uh, within, within reason, uh, freely use the systems that they established, freely use the ideas that they set forth in Apocalypse World and make their own stuff. Uh, and if they, you know, cite in their list of, you know, uh, you, you list at the beginning of a book, like, you know, things that inspired it. Uh, there's a technical word for that. And I can't think of it right now. A but, tribute. If you, yeah, yeah. If it's, if it's, if it's in your attributions, uh, and you have Apocalypse World in there, then congratulations. You're powered by the apocalypse. Uh, and, and that's, the, the short gist of it. Uh, basically, the reason why they talk about it that way is because uh, they wanted to be really open for what games could consider themselves to be powered by the apocalypse. Um, because there's a lot of things going on in Apocalypse World that are not just mechanical. They're also kind of game theory mm-hmm. uh, and uh, very much like uh, aesthetic. Or you could consider it like um, almost philosophical for how a system can run for how a story can be told at the table. And so if you, if you are inspired by any of that and take that into a game that you write, then you can be powered by the apocalypse. Um, and that's, that's where that gray area comes from is because it isn't just, there's no, you know, there's no SRD to follow to make a PBTA game. There's no exact boxes you have to tick in order to be considered one, okay. uh, which is why you get a huge variance in that pool of games that are under that label. So like uh, we started off with Apocalypse World, but then the second one we played was a game called Undying, which uh, Apocalypse World, you, you roll 2d6 to resolve uh, moves that then are triggered by the narrative. Uh, well, Undying is a diceless game. 
uh, you barter with tokens in order to take particular actions. Um, and setting wise, Apocalypse World is, you know, any really any apocalypse imaginable, but it's mm -hmm. sort of core setting is very Mad Max ish. Uh, and then Undying is about vampires in like a modern ish, uh, a loosely historical setting. So just those two alone are very different. Very, mm -hmm. But if you play Apocalypse World and then you read Undying, you can kind of still see the, un the you can see the DNA in there. Okay. And that's kind of what defines Powered by the Apocalypse. Okay. So it's like, let's say I read, I started my own novel and I got some Tolkien-esque mm -hmm. uh, ideas in my novel. It'd be like inspired loosely on Lord of the Rings or something like that. You'd be powered by, okay, I see. What, I, okay. I get yeah. it. So it's, yeah. All right. Yeah, and, the, and the difference there is like, I'm sure if you described your book as being powered by Lord of the Rings, uh, you'd have a, you'd have a lawsuit coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, they just, I wouldn't, you'd never say that, but yeah, exactly. you, you can see that who was inspired by Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But th that's the thing. It has to be implicit where there were their policy, uh, Vincent Meg's policy is basically like, if you consider yourself to be powered by the apocalypse, you are. Um, and now that is like, if you're making some really like, bad in the in the you know any of the protected categories <laughs> sense uh then like they like reserve the right to say like hey we do not actually associate our <laughs> our game with this um but as far as i'm aware that's been exercised very little if at all because generally people take it in good faith and make really cool stuff so Okay. Yeah, yeah, there is a almost an overwhelming number of games that use that as their um their their kind of their inspiration slash game engine slash mm -hmm. um background slash I don't know inciting event. There's a there's a lot of slashes there. So but so let's so let's get into some specifics then because I think that'll help kind of clarify it a little bit. Um let's kind of let let's start uh with monster of the week. Uh, yeah. because, um, it is, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's one of the more popular ones. There's a couple of different actual plays that are doing it. I actually just picked up the rule set kind of accidentally recently, long story. Uh, but, um, uh, talk, talk a little bit about monster. We can kind of walk us through both what you guys have done with it and, and, you know, what makes it a powered by the apocalypse game. Yeah. Uh, monster of the week is, I would definitely say one of the most popular, uh, it, Blades in the Dark is technically under the umbrella as well, um, are both hugely popular games in it. But Monster of the Week uh, is there's a lot of actual plays that use it because it's a really well-balanced system. So the heart of it, uh, what narratives it supports are anything that is the title Monster of the Week. If you have a group of people who are in any way uh, fighting or even just researching or, or otherwise trying to solve monster-related mysteries... Uh, on a fairly cyclical basis, congrats, you're a Monster of the Week game. Uh, you, you, like, this game will support it. Uh, and it takes from a lot of the sort of what are considered kind of traditional PBTA mechanics. So you have moves, um, rather than rolling like a particular stat like you would in D&D, or you have, you know, checks and saving throws. Um, in, in Monster of the Week, you are, the, the table's a conversation, uh, everything is very narrative-driven, uh, the the keeper who is the the GM the game master um, they guide that narrative but then when players take their like when they take action uh, it triggers moves which are then when you end up rolling dice uh, and 
there are three levels of success. Uh, well, technically two of success, one of a failure, um, where you have a hit, a, a mixed success, and then a miss. And that happens depending on your dice roll, which is uh, you roll two dice six. So two of the you know, little cube dice. And you sum that. And then if you are six or below, that's a miss. If you're seven to nine, that's a mixed success. And if you're 10 plus, then it's a, a full success. Uh, and uh, depending on what move you're using, it will actually tie back to a stat. So then you'll get to add a stat modifier to that. And depending on the situation, you might be rolling into a particular uh, move with some sort of you know value carried forward or some sort of benefit or something like that. Um, but basically, based on what your result is, the move usually gives you a framework with which how you apply like uh, for you to apply that narrative result. So like if you have a full success, then whatever you say pretty much happens, it happens. And you can carry that forward depending on the scope of what that move allows. So like a great example, uh, there's a move. My phone dinged. Uh, There's a move called Investigate a Mystery, which is like, I would say, uh, maybe not every, but almost every PBTA game, you can really uh, showcase what it's best at, usually with like one, maybe two moves that really show like what's the heart of this game. And I think Investigate a Mystery is one of those for Monster of the Week. Uh, Investigate a Mystery, whenever you are taking action to try to better understand the monster or you know, perhaps there's been uh, some some killings or perhaps there's been some sort of destruction. You know, if you're doing investigative action, then you roll investigate a mystery. And then if you have a full success, you get to ask, I think it's two questions from a, a list mm-hmm. they provide plus one that you come up with. Uh, yeah. And then on a mixed success, you just get one of those. So to, to, to add a little bit more to that, because that was just the amount of time I needed to pull up the Hunter reference sheet uh, for... <laughs> Investigative mystery, you roll uh, yeah. sharp, and sharp it would be yes. is like an attribute. It's just yes. a different name for percept, like like wisdom or, or perception or insight or something like yep. that. Harland. So on a mm-hmm. ten or higher, uh, hold two. On a seven to nine, hold one. One hold can be spent to ask the keeper one of the following questions. Say so if you're you're rolling two dice, three dice, how many dice? Do you two roll? dice. So you're rolling two dice, Harland. If you're rolling a ten, eleven, or twelve, you get to ask mm-hmm. two questions. On a seven, eight, or nine, you get to ask one question. Or, and on nothing, you don't uh, you don't do anything. The one that uh, that that should have been referenced because it's the one that Harlan would probably get. It's kick some ass is another <laughs> move, uh, which you, so when you get into a fight and want to kick some ass, you roll tough on a seven and up. I uh, you, you and whatever you're fighting inflict harm on each other. The amount of harm is based on the established dangers in the game. That usually means you inflict harm rating of your weapon and your enemy inflicts inflicts their attacker's harm rating on you on a ten or higher. Uh, you get to do Kicks one extra ass. reflect, like terrible harm, or you suffer less harm. And at twelve or higher, you instead and pick and so it's it's basically um, it's basically uh, a, like a three tier success system. Either you fail or you do okay, good or crit. Basically, yeah. That sounds like though I'm rolling and just to say we are fighting and. That's it. Not, like I'm not rolling to hit him. Like once we once we're fighting, we're fighting. And if oh, yeah. I roll high, I I am winning the fight. And if I roll no, so, medium, <laughs> oh, we're just giving blows back and forth. So so looking at this, if you fail, if you roll a six or lower, I think you just take damage. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. 
Uh, yeah. So with with kick some ass, uh, if you fail, you fail to kick some ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so, but then like if you get like a seven or a seven eight or nine, you guys do damage to each other, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like end of Rocky two or three where they knock each other out. <laughs> yes. Uh, on a, a ten or higher, you get to pick something like you take an advantage, take plus one forward, or give plus one forward to another uh, hunter. You inflict terrible harm, plus one additional harm against your enemy. You suffer less harm, minus one harm against you. And keep in mind, this isn't like huge, correct me if I'm wrong again, David, huge hit point pool. Like, well, not Todd. Todd doesn't have a huge hit point pool. <laughs> but these are these are much smaller hit point pools. So one or two points of damage is really significant in, in these yeah. kind of games. So uh, pl- players have a hit point, uh, essentially a, hit, a, bit, uh, a harm pool, uh, as it's called in that. You have a harm pool of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anything above three is considered uh, like uh, there's a there's a word for it in the game. I'd have to pull up the manual. But basically, if you take more than three harm, it doesn't heal away naturally. Anything three or below, it'll yeah. just heal up with some time. But anything above that, you start getting into like your your condition will worsen territory. Four to seven harm wounds are serious and unstable. They will get worse yeah. unless treated. Mark the unstable box. Eight mm-hmm. harm or more will kill a normal human, including a hunter. Um, so it's, you know, and this is something that, I mean, I think all your context for TTRPGs at this point are, uh, are D20 systems, which have a, a higher kind of scale, both mm-hmm. in the, um, both in the attributes, the difficulty classes, and then the pool of resources that a character might have, um, on some of the games that, that use dice pools, um, the numbers are significantly more condensed, um, and especially in more narrative oriented games, um, which I think, one, uh, with all the variations that are out there, I think the one through line that is pretty consistent, again, David, with, with mm-hmm. um, Powered by the Apocalypse, it, they're more narrative forward than they are stat forward, right? Yes. Uh, there are some occasional exceptions to that, but uh, ov- overall, like one of the like core ethos of uh, Apocalypse World originally, and then by extension, most Powered by the Apocalypse games is like, all all moves, all roles are driving the narrative, not uh, dictating the result of a particular action. Um, so like, whereas in D&D, like if I want to go and chop down a tree, um, well, then, you know, I better roll my my athletics or my strength check to, you know, see how good I am with my axe, see if I can cut this tree. Um, and by contrast, if, if I was just going to go cut a tree and it had like, you know, no bearings on the narrative in PBTA, it's like, OK, you, you cut down the tree. And it's not until you you take action that is uh, special in the narrative in some fashion that has some sort of narrative impact that the dice come in and that usually it ties back to a move of some kind. That makes sense, Arlen? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Do you have any other Powered by the Apocalypse questions? I The Powered by the, the question I did have was like, it just seems like, I don't know. Is is it if if I say that my game is powered by the apocalypse, are mm-hmm. people more likely to play? Like, is it is it like a a, <laughs> a, a tagline that you associate with a game just to get people to kind of play? Or like, is it like yeah, you know what I mean? Like, is yeah, it, I, it, it's game it's, notoriety. It's, it's helpful in that it it lets uh, people who are familiar with like the genre of game. I'll, I'll loosely say people who are familiar with it. It lets them know kind of what to expect. Um, and that is helpful because like, let's say I really like monster of the week and I know that it's a powered by the apocalypse game. And somebody tells me about this cool game, Brindlewood Bay. 
that is also a Powered by the Apocalypse game that I might be like, oh, well, I already sort of know how these sort of games mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Uh, I, it won't be nearly as difficult for me to pick up this other one. And so, like, it lowers the barrier of entry. You just seem like, the, but the games could be greatly different. Yeah, but the, but yeah. the, the core system is still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, and not necessarily the core system because it's by definition a looser concept. But yep. the the fundamentals are still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's like playing Halo and Destiny. Um, yes, very yeah. different games, very mm-hmm. different structures. But Bungie's original DNA of move and shoot, shoot and move are still very consistent between the two. If you've got the feel for one, you've got a pretty good feel for the other. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great example. <laughs> Thank you don't very give, much. Don't, don't give him any very credit. fucking give, clever. <laughs> give him any credit. Give him uh, credit. So, uh, so Harlan, any other Power by the Apocalypse questions before we get specifically to Trials of the Apocalypse? Oh, um, no, I don't. I don't know. I'm just. I'm looking at the the Monster of the Week thing yeah. and just looking at it. It is. It, it, so I know you said that mm-hmm. it seems it seems more role play and less game. Mm. Right, it, that that's the way it seems like because like I'm all for the game and yeah, less yeah. of the role play. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on the game. Um, I think okay. Monster of the Week straddles a really nice balance because you can absolutely get into some chunkier parts with that game where there's a little bit more complexity in in the mechanics of the game. Uh, and also in the case of Monster of the Week, there is kind of like a known win condition. Uh, okay. You are trying to like you are trying to gain your understanding of the monster of the mystery. And then you go to resolve that that monster and that mystery. And that is usually a fight. I know there are some exceptions to that, but like oftentimes you're you're doing glorious battle with some crazy monster of the night. uh, And that absolutely while the steps involved there are narrative, um, there is definitely a gamification element to it. Um, That's a little bit uh, stronger in some other games. Like I think Blades in the Dark is a particularly sort of crunchy Mm -hmm. uh, PBTA game where like there's a lot of mechanic mechanification um of some otherwise narrative principles in a way that i actually think is like for anyone who's picking up pbta for the first time especially if you're coming from like a dnd or pathfinder mm-hmm. or more uh, even like starfinder some, some more crunchy background um i think uh but blades in the dark is a great place to start because it has a lot of that mechanic mechanicification that you would expect uh from a tabletop rpg but all of it is very narrative pointed. And so if you get good at running Blades in the Dark and then you go to something that's a little bit lighter, you can just keep your habits that you developed from Blades in the Dark and extend it to a lot of those other games. Because like its concept of like position and effect and other stuff is like very mechanically impactful in that game, but the concepts can be applied regardless. Um, which is kind of like if if I talk about broadly about PBTA, like that's something that I'll say a lot is like each new game I play, there's almost always something I pick up from running that or from playing it that I then take and apply in a new context in a new game. Um, like Brindlewood Bay, for instance, uh, I think they're changing the name of this and they're, they're doing a Kickstarter release right now of a full-blown version. Yeah. But uh, what it used to be called, and I think it's going to be changed by the time anybody looks it up, but they used to be called Paint the Scene Questions. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's just like a little question that is provided by the mystery that you ask whenever you arrive at a new location and it, after you know giving the rough description it allows the players at the table to give some feedback uh, yeah. like some ideas that they have for what else might be there right and that paint the scene question idea is something that i picked up and used in a lot of other games since then it's not something that i've limited to just using in brindlewood bay 
Yeah, it it D and D started off as as wargaming, Harlan. Mm-hmm. So it, it started off with miniatures on a table and a rule set to to support that, and then grew into like the full blown fantasy TTRPG and and whatever else it's become. But even but it it still still started from that that very structured game point. And even though the rules have definitely gotten looser, and Five E is probably the broadest rule set that they've ever they've ever had and the most the most um the easiest you know easy to learn difficult to master kind of rule set um it still has its roots there you can still draw a pretty straight line back to miniatures on a table um there are other more narrative oriented games like vampire the masquerade is a is a good example where the the storytelling is more at the forefront than the what did i roll to hit um and um there are a lot of great games out there that support that. It's it's oh maybe I've just always played with people that are really rules heavy people. And it's just like, well, if you're not gonna tell me I can't blow up Nantucket because it doesn't <laughs> say it in the rules, then I blow up Nantucket to solve this monster problem. So that's why I have always probably skewed more towards towards role game uh uh, uh more rules oriented games. Yeah. I mean there's there's definitely a place for like more sandboxy stuff like D and D and yeah. more narrative forward stuff like the PBTA canon. So yeah, no, neither one of them are, are, are wrong. It's just, yeah. again, it's, you have to understand, don't go out there and, and play, uh, play golf when you're supposed to be playing pool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a completely different and mm-hmm. vice versa, completely different, completely different sports. So, uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit very specifically about your, uh, apocalypse games and trials. So trials of the apocalypse. How long have you guys have been podcasting? Uh, I think we, we were working on it for about six months before our first release, but our first release came out like the last day of December, 2020. Okay. Uh, so we're, or was it the last, or was it 2021? No, yeah. Time is, yeah. So we, time we, is we a flat yeah. circle now. It doesn't we, matter. <laughs> we, well, also the last two years, like we're just one year, like yeah. <laughs> one big year, uh, yeah. one big year. Uh, but I think, yeah, basically January of 2021, technically December, 2020 is when we yeah. started. Okay. And it was it just group of friends. Uh, you guys have a broadcast. What, what kind of what's what's the origin story of your cast crew and how you guys got together? Yeah. So um, I've been running a lot of personal games uh, prior to that. Most of that was D&D. There was a little bit of fate. Um, I'd been really meaning to try a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games because I kept hearing about ones that excited me. Like I'd heard of Monster of the Week and that sounded really cool. I'd read a little bit of Apocalypse World and that sounded really fun. Um, I'd heard of Undying and that sounded fun. And so I was like, well, I want to play a lot of these games, but I'm really bad at like setting aside the time to do it, um, especially like when I'm running at the time I was running four weekly D&D games, Good which Lord. is, by the oh. way, a lot. <laughs> very, very, was, very many. Very that many that did not last forever, for sure. I, at this point, I'm down to just one uh, yeah. and one that's on hiatus that we might pick up again soon. But um, so I was really interested in running some of this other stuff, but I, I was had all this other stuff that I was doing. And so I was like, well, um, I will be more compelled to do this uh, if I have a project that I'm working on with it. Right. Um, And so that's kind of like one of the seeds that went into making the show. And then the other one was uh, I was running all these comb games and there was one arc in particular uh, that was like, uh, it, it like brought together all of the characters stories in this like gambling house. And there was like all of this, like, really like in the in span of like three sessions, we covered a huge amount of ground mm. and it was just really, really good. And we got to the end of it and everybody was like, you know, laughing and crying and having a good time. And then like an hour later it was over. 
And I was like, huh, like I have no way of going back and revisiting this mm-hmm. or like, like this, this moment was contained to this moment. And there's certainly value in that. Like I don't record my weekly D&D because like at this point, we're way too far along in that story to share it with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking like, I think I have, like, I think I have the ability to tell stories that other people will find compelling. And if I do that as a goal, then I'm more likely to actually do it. <laughs> Um, and I have like a pretty wide group of, of friends and acquaintances who I've gamed with in those various games I talked about earlier and just kind of more broadly. Mm-hmm. And so our cast at this point, cause we, we rotate players every game and not yeah. a total rotation. Um, but like, I think we're up to f- either 15 or 16 cast members who've appeared on the show. Wow. Um, in the course of our, uh, seven games now. So I can't get <laughs> Two to show up regularly for live stream, <laughs> so that's impressive. Oh, my my uh, recording trick is you don't let them leave until you're done. Uh, <laughs> we we try to record all of our games in as close to one sitting as possible. At this point, mm-hmm. we're up to uh, usually back to back, like four or five hour recording sessions, back to back in two days. Yeah, uh, we try to do it over a weekend. But originally, our first game, we just sat down at the table and did the setup. And the entire game, and basically just we're in my basement where we used to live for like 13 hours. <laughs> Oof. Oof. It was crazy. <laughs> so it was fun. Super fun, though. You get, but you guys are all playing in person, and you're recording in person. Uh, we try to. Uh, there are a few games like right as the pandemic started to really ramp up, we went remote for a while. Uh, that was our Ghost Lines game, um, which we had struggled with some audio problems because of that, but we kind of figured it out. And then we've had a couple of hybrid games since then where mostly we record in person, but then we might have a guest who, for instance, for our game playing The Watch, uh, Dana, she lives in California and I live in this the heartland. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, it's a little bit uh, far flight to come out for <laughs> a game. So, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. she joined us uh, online. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we record in person. So... Uh, just to get into the podcast weeds a little bit, what, what is the audio setup when you guys are recording in person? How are you doing sound isolation? Is it just, um, so just, it's, it's all, it's all blurred behind me because the room is a mess, but, uh, we actually, re- <laughs> we currently record in, in my office. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, just, it's just big enough as far as a room. Uh, we have a couple of tables that we brought over from where we used to live, uh, that were just like folding tables that I, uh, roughly upholstered with some moving blankets to give them a little bit of acoustic absorption. And then I just got uh, like moving blankets hanging on every wall in this room to help out a little bit with the sound treatment. Yeah. Uh, and it does, it works just well enough to then like my effects chain can help me clean up just about everything else in post. Um, and still that, you know, it doesn't sound the way that it might if we recorded in a proper studio, but I think it yeah. sounds perfectly good enough for, for a podcast. Uh, what kind of mics do you guys use? Just out of curiosity, what's your preferred brand of mic? So the one I used, we, we, we switched halfway through our show's production. Uh, for a while, we were using Mayono's. Is Mayono something? It's like a small company. They sell on Amazon and other retailers. Uh, but it was like a cheap condenser mic. It was mm-hmm. like 40 or 50 a mic, um, oh, wow. which very affordable uh, in that space. And they came with a little, uh, little mic stands. I don't know if I can get my blur to not kill this. If I put it in front of my face. Little oh, mic stands. Yeah, that's a little pop filter. Um, 
<clears throat> and but then halfway were, through, they, wait, wait. they were condenser yeah. mics. They weren't dynamic yeah. mics. Wow. We, we started with condenser mics. Um, yeah. And that's because I'd, I'd heard that they did a better job, like as far as like the spectrum of audio mm-hmm. they pick up. And at the time I thought that was fairly important. And then the more I dealt with the fact that condenser mics are also more sensitive mm-hmm. uh, to noise and other problems, uh, the more I was like, we should switch to dynamic mics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so now uh, I, I also have somewhere uh i've got another one that i used to use but for the most part we now use uh the samson q2u's okay cool. uh, which are a either usb or xlr um yep. dynamic it's mic. actually jazz records with that and <clears throat> i record with the the atri version of the exact yeah. same mic there uh, the but, atris are a little bit harder to find so we actually picked up a couple of samsons um, I think that may be actually what you're using too, Harlan. I think you may be on the Samsons or the ATRIs. Uh, looks like it could be. Well, I, th- I think the Samson has a rounded tip, so I think that might be the other one. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're all sure, about the tips. Sure. Um, Amazon <laughs> will tell me what I use. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> I'm just glad you remember to talk into it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to get down into the, uh, to the don't get talk bad about me. I'm still here. I wasn't talking bad about you, Jazz. It was, oh my that God. Was Anthony. That's Anthony. Oh, that's Anthony. Okay. <laughs> we, we're not talking bad about you. I, oh, why can I not remember that Jazz is a serial killer <laughs> and <laughs> Anthony is CMEC Trouble? It just seems like those should be reversed. I've been seeing those screen names for like seven <laughs> years now. And I still... Get them mixed every single time, like fucking clockwork. So yeah. um, I I actually met David through um, a side project uh, that we that um, you kind of bopped in for um, Brindlewood Bay, right? Or did you play something? Uh, I did a little bit of uh, when you ran Kids on Bikes as well. Oh, although I missed right. the second section because there's that's a right. little bit of a family emergency. You but. got eaten by a tyrannosaurus. Hey, that's the way to go. <laughs> uh, Velociraptors, Velociraptors in uh, in East Texas. Uh, that was uh, that was my whole. And hopefully those those episodes will see the light of day someday. Um, they, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kids on Bike is is I think kind of a similar, um, but just glancing, you know, comparing it to Brindlewood Bay and then comparing mm-hmm. it to looking at Monster of the Week. Um, Kids on Bikes is definitely a little bit more rules heavy, um, and I think a little bit more explicit in the mechanics of the storytelling than some of the powered by the apocalypse games that I've seen. Yeah. I think it sits like just above monster of the week. I would say as far as like if I were to build a little, a little crunchiness scale, uh, like how mechanics heavy it is, uh, I would put it just, just above monster of the week. Um, I think monster of the week has a wider rule set, but how everything is resolved is a little bit simpler than it is in kids on bikes. Yeah, kids on bikes. The, the the you know the one thing that the exploding die thing is wild. <laughs> well, and it, uh, the biggest learning curve for me running it was that the difficulty classes need to be significantly lower. Yeah. Um, you know, I came in. I I am notorious for the fifteen DC in Give Me the Loot. Um, it's my <laughs> it's my go to DC. It's my favorite one. Statistically, it just fits well with how much I've powered these losers up. But the um, that is super fucking hard. <laughs> And kids on bikes, like a seven or eight is a reasonable challenge on that. Um, What's interesting, I think, about at least what I've seen from the Power of the Apocalypse games, there's not necessarily a difficulty class. There's like a standard metric of success across all the roles. Like it's hey, like like looking at Monster of the Week, it's seven or higher is kind of good in every situation. And then 10 or higher is really good. And a 12 is way to fucking crit. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a, a couple of exceptions to that. Um, 
I don't. I can't remember if Monster of the Week does this. They, they, the systems do blend together a little bit in your head when you're out of running them for a bit. But uh, I know that, for example, Brindlewood Bay does have the idea of advantage and disadvantage as well. Yeah. Um, so that you can, you know, in, in the case of Powered by the Apocalypse, how that works usually is instead of rolling two dice, yeah, you will roll dice. three dice yeah. uh, and then either take the two highest or the two lowest, depending. Yeah. And so if you're playing Brindlewood Bay and you're in a circumstance where either you're in a circumstance where you should probably like this is very difficult for you to do. You're probably rolling at disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a condition at the time that can be applied to the situation, then you'll be forced to roll at disadvantage. Yeah. So. Yeah. Harley Brindlewood Bay is, uh, is basically murder. She wrote the role-playing game. Oh no. Uh, yeah. I played that with Anthony's, Anthony's brother. Wendell okay. was great at it. Um, <laughs> he was fantastic. Um, with Bob, Bob, uh, Bob, uh, AKA Cameron, the God of theater was, uh, was running that, uh, running that one. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 what, what made you guys pick this particular, um, and Harlan jump in anytime when you have a question, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, uh, this particular rule set to build, build the podcast around. Why, why not? Because there's a fucking million of them who needs another one, but why not another D and D pod? Not specifically, (laughs) not another Another, not another D&D podcast, because those guys are great, but, uh, no. <laughs> so, w- obviously, like, I run enough D&D that I've thought about it, um, but I think, at least for me specifically as, as a DM, um, I think that D&D, if, if you come to listen to a D&D actual play podcast, um, then you are coming to listen to it because you explicitly love D&D. Mm. Um, it, it, otherwise like you, there's a lot that you'll have to sit through, or there's a lot of experience with it that you don't really like, you can't connect with as much. Like what does a crit mean to you? If you're not really familiar with the system, right? Um, like, or like, you know, knowing that like, oh wow, this is like, oh, their AC is 23. Like, damn, like like, you have to sort of already understand what that is in order to really connect with it in that way. Um, and I wanted to tell some stories that you could come based on the premise of the story we were telling and you could not even care about the system. You, you could have no experience with it and you could still enjoy the podcast. Uh, and I think that's really hard to do with D and D podcasts. It's not impossible. Like I'm mm-hmm. there, there definitely exist. Um, and I've, I've listened to some of them. Like I, I think the adventure zone is a good example because you know, they're just, they're, <laughs> they're podcast personalities first and then, you know, kind of storyteller second. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, and I'm so, familiar with that concept. uh and so i think for how like the the kinds of stories that i tell at the table um i thought the the best way to do something podcastable Mm. uh would be to do something a bit more narrative focused and so uh we were almost a fate core podcast if you've ever read uh fate before uh it's another rpg system um that i really like i've run several one shots of it and personal games in the past um but at the end, the reason why I did PBTA is because there was more games. I, I think there's a wider group of games that are, mm-hmm. are, are all under that umbrella. Yeah. And several of them I hadn't had the chance to play yet. And again, for me, this was like, I want to learn how to do editing and sound mixing. I want to like learn what it is to make a podcast. And I want to play more games that I want to play that I haven't had time to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Give myself a reason to do it. And so like the variety we've gotten to play on the show has been awesome. Uh, and totally unexpected. So I think that's why we settled on PPTA when we decided to launch. 
Yeah, I've seen Fate and I've seen the Fate dice. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that seems like something I, I will get into at some point, but I haven't had the opportunity to really dive into it yet. Because they're, they're like plus minus die, right? Is that what? Yeah, so it, it's like a, a scale, essentially, of, of plus and minus. Um, it's a, a little bit tricky to explain. Uh, <laughs> and it's been long enough that it, since I played it that I would probably butcher it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite thing from Fate that I've like picked up and applied to almost everything else I, I do is like Fate has this idea of aspects. And like characters can have aspects, but also situations can have aspects. Yeah. Like an example that I always fall back to is like uh, if you um, let's say you're like having a fight in a bar and somebody like takes an entire keg and breaks it on the floor. Right. And um, well, the the floor, this whole room, this, this situation now has an aspect that's like wet floor, like beer on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you take an action that uses that in some way, then you can apply a bonus to your role. Or if it's used against oh, you by okay. the, by the keep, like by the, I can't remember what the person running it. I think it's just the game master. Uh, if they use it against you, they can apply that negatively to you. And so situational aspects is something that I've used in D and D and other stuff going forwards. It's like, okay, well like the situation has changed. How can that, how does that affect what you're rolling for? Um, no. And so I love that concept. Yeah, there's, you know, that's uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I've been making more of an effort to at least pick up and add to the pile of shit that I need to get to read, but am so far behind on reading uh, behind me um, and, and is because there are so many other, and that's why I picked up, like I said, by on accident, Monster of the Week uh, mm-hmm. recently. Um, I've got the... Um, well, I, I have to uh, I have to know, what does it mean to get it by accident? Um, I thought I was picking up a different book. And then when I got in the car, I realized I'd grabbed something wrong and it was actually the second supplement to monster of the week. (laughs) And I was like, well, fuck now I got to buy monster of the week. And so I went home and ordered monster of the week, um, because I had grabbed the wrong book off the shelf in the game store, uh, because my kids were getting tired of being there and I was, had been browsing (laughs) for too long and was getting rushed out the door. I was like, fine, let me just grab this and we'll go. And then I got and I went, ah, fuck, this is not what I thought it was. Um, but okay. Well, I. And it was actually on my docket to check out um, because I have a fondness for Monster of the Week format that that, mm-hmm. that term um, brings back a lot of positive memories. It's one of the reasons why we picked Supernatural to do our bonus podcast around, which, surprise, isn't as Monster of the Week as you would think, <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> Should have Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Scooby-Doo <laughs> would have been a much better choice, but then it would have been all old men doing real estate scams <laughs> for our homebrew, um, and you really only can do that once. Um mm-hmm. In role-playing games, in, oh, yeah, uh, in our country, <laughs> you can do it every day. We'll elect that fucker president. Yeah, it. Um, so, Too real. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Got to get, got to get there at least once. Um, the, uh, but yeah, I got like that. The Hellboy uh, TTRPG I just picked up is on the docket. Um, I actually have the Power Ranger TTRPG uh, that I picked up recently. Um, managed to score like two of the discontinued. Fantasy Flight Star Wars source books, Edge of the Empire and Age of Rebellion, because I've got hmm. invited to be on a Star Wars stream. Um, you talk about a complicated dice system. Uh, oh, yeah. Go back and watch our stream from last Saturday, folks. That, like, and Jay did a great job walking me through it. And I was like, okay, this makes sense now. But, man, it is um, it is a very unique way to, to, to play. And, and especially now that you can't even find the dice, you've got to basically use the app. Because it's in a we- the property itself is in a weird limbo between company that bought the license and the rights to reprint the books, not actually having reprinted them yet. Um, I managed to score two of the books because I could have sworn I saw them at Rogue's Gallery. 
uh, and went by there and he's like, yeah, man, one of my distributors found a box of them back in the warehouse and sent them to me. And I'm like, well, I'm going to buy both of these, even though I need, only need the, the edge of the empire one. I'm going to save this age of rebellion one. Cause if that other company doesn't ever start reprinting them, that motherfucker's going on eBay. Uh. <laughs> so they have yeah. weird dice that you can't purchase anymore. I guess. Yeah. You can't No, Like you can't find the dice for them because they are, it's, um, Dude, I can't even begin. I was like, like I have numbers on post, them. I can't like, just there are, the, because they're not numbers; they're symbols. They're and, symbols. Uh, so basically, yeah. you have you have a type of D six that your advantage dice, a type of D six that are your disadvantage dice, a D eight that's your ability dice, a D ten that's your Jabberwocky dice. Like there's like up to D twelve. Each it's different weird. type of dice reflects an element that can go into the determiner of success or failure. And then on those dice, you don't have numbers. You have a success, two successes, or failure, or like a crit fail symbol. And you basically roll that and go, okay, I got five successes and three failures. And, and or I got two, like, so there, there is, it, it's not, it's a very creative way and a very Star Wars way, by the way, if you've ever looked at like Sabacc or any of that bullshit. Of of addressing it that I think I think is intriguing and I'm really interested to dive in and and play it and Jay to his credit did a masterful job of of explaining it um uh, and super super nice guy really high, highly recommend everybody check out his stuff um that um uh, but I when I get to it I'm just gonna hit the button on the app and go it made yellow triangles <laughs> what do I do do I get to be a robot because I'm gonna did I, did I shoot him where's my I bet my working um. <laughs> So I'll be like a Ralph doing a science experiment. Um, so, well, cool, man. So 15, 15 different players. I, I mean, you've, uh, that sounds well, good, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So you have a bunch of players playing or mm -hmm. are, are the games that you play, are they more one shot story driven things or is it a campaign that they, these guys are just playing recurring characters that keep bouncing in or which way is it? Yeah, so uh, that's actually something we debated before we started the show because, like, we'd thought about doing something where we maintained a pretty much a set cast and we did one shots in these different systems, but like it all tied together. And we ended up not doing that. Uh, the, each one is independent. Uh, the, the, there's no recurring characters yet. I'll say with a, with an asterisk. I'll get back to that. Um, but like the main reason we did that is I wanted people to be able to jump in whenever like if if you're only interested in murder mystery grandmas then just go listen to brindlewood bay yeah and you don't have to listen to everything else uh you can enjoy that perfectly well for what it is and if you liked it then listen to something else right uh and so i wanted like people to be able to do that with the show uh and if you have a continuing narrative then you don't have that freedom quite as much uh and so that was like why we did it that way and mm -hmm. I, I put the little asterisk there because uh we played a game called ghost lines Mm. Uh, which is by John Harper, uh, author of Blades in the Dark and other games. And Ghost Lines actually takes place in the same universe as Blades in the Dark. It was a game that he wrote before. It's a short little four-page document. Uh, real simple, real uh, good. It's, it's so fun. <laughs> um, but eventually we're going to be playing Blades in the Dark. And when we do that, we are going to carry on the story from Ghost Lines. But that's like very much an exception to our rule, um, just because of how that works. Hmm. Well, cool, man. Um, we are at the back end of the hour. Um, if anybody else has any questions in the chat, holler at us. Uh, Harlan, did you have any other questions? I, yeah, not, yeah. Cause so you have to create characters every single time you run a new mm -hmm. game, right? It's just like yep. any, like D and D. Yep. 
Absolutely. Okay. But I, but yeah. to back it up, the powered by the apocalypse characters, if they're anything like like the um, Brindlewood Bay characters, it's a dramatically simpler process, right? It, it is more it's more archetypal than it is character driven. Like you, you know, it's it's a little bit easier to come up with that. It's it's I mean, it's less of a statistical piece of homework than it is so much a short uh, short story writing prompt. Yeah, usually with Pirate by the Apocalypse, um, again, not every game works this way, but uh, you have playbooks, which are similar to like classes from D&D. And when you're doing character creation, you basically pick like your name, your look, which is usually just a narrative thing. It's like what what your character looks like. Um, And then you select a playbook. That's the archetype they sit within. And then from that playbook, usually you're only selecting two or three distinct moves that your character has available to them. Uh, that like are part of that playbook and sometimes some items or other things. If you're in a game where like your inventory really matters uh, and that's, Oh, and you're assigning your stats. Um, if it's, you know, a game with stats, which most of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, even then it's like, it. it's like two or th- it's up to four, maybe, maybe five stats, but you're not dealing mm-hmm. like, okay, my dex is 15. My yeah. strength is nine. It's more like I've got a two in this because you're what you're again with your difficulty classes being a maximum of 12 having a two or three in something significantly so shifts you towards success you know what i mean yep. like when, when you're dealing with a much smaller um randomization target and pool yeah. like like there's a whole different mechanical baseline that's that's really worth really worth exploring all right other questions no, no, Drekin. I was doom scrolling Twitter and missed a lot of it. Something about the apocalypse is coming. Yeah, always. <laughs> Trials of the Apocalypse um, is actually CNN's um, TTRPG <laughs> uh, actual play. Uh, don't put that on us. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, if Fox News targets you tomorrow. That's on me. My bad. <laughs> My bad. Uh, Sean Hannity is on here going. These Trials of the Apocalypse guys are out here smoking pigs. What? Um, are they so so, Ooh, so pig smoke sp- pig. Yeah, pig smoke Get <laughs> yeah. us, what what the fuck all right see I, let me just boil down so, to the simple so question. i think the name what? of that is it's playing off of uh the the game is loosely inspired by uh like the harry potter books as one of its sources of inspiration mm-hmm. and in there it's like hogwarts and oh, i think they went with pig i don't know yeah. why they chose smoke it's yeah. <laughs> but like they're playing off of a similar titling thing but no, it's definitely like not what I thought the game was about when I first read the title. And then I read like the summary. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Um, and yeah, we're we're currently releasing episodes for that. It's like basically the players play as uh, academics at a magical institution uh, it's yeah. called Big Smoke. And they're just they're just trying to like do their research and make tenure. And they're having to deal with all the the bullshit that comes with a university setting. I was going to make a joke about, do they have to try and fulfill the crushing demands of making tenure? And then you yes. really went there and I went, fuck, I got to make sure <laughs> there, that there is a tenure track. Uh, so. Dr. Emily Friedman, you've been summoned. <laughs> Let me make buzz the tower with her on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, again, it's cool that there's something out there that is a much more welcoming development platform for indie creators who want to get mm-hmm. who have kind of a cool concept want to do a looser development cycle and and then to get something out there uh, uh pretty quick i i mean writing in the uh d20 watsy style guide 
is just amazingly tougher than you would think. Yeah. Um, ha- having done like two, three chap, not even the fuck, not, like four or five pages of the intro for our podcast for our patrons, pushing it over to that format and that style. And it was just like, oh yeah, no, this is a, this is a full-time fucking job. If I'm doing this, <laughs> the DM notes will be way behind. Um, uh, but uh, have have managed to push a few out there. But I mean, because that was always the goal is to go. Okay, let's take let's take the adventure and convert it over to the kind of that that drive through RPG that mm-hmm. or that DM's guild, so that the the patrons can have it at the end of it. And and it, and it will get there eventually. It may be like a year after the campaign ends. Um, but so, yeah, I mean that's the thing, man. Is I I I am glad that that our cast is on the journey that it's on. Uh, but it is the only multi-year campaign I will ever run for production. <laughs> And I can't imagine doing one like for like the the D&D game I run. We've been running for like just over three years now. We're almost at the end of the campaign. Uh, We're in our final arc. We're in the second half of the final arc. Yep. Um, But like, I cannot imagine having to run that for Mike. That. uh, Yeah, it's it's tough, man. And I just I recently came to terms with the fact because I mean, the goal is we've got two arcs that we'll get through this year. That'll leave two Mm -hmm. arcs in the finale for next year, which we'll do. I I mean, we'll do. But, you know, there are there are going to be some cool side questy bits that I'm going to have to make sacrifices on. There's one point that I am agonizing and I mean, fucking agonizing cutting out of Baba's arc. But I'm like, man, it's not really relevant. It's just something you really wanted to do in D&D style. Just tuck it in the folder for next time. Um, but I'm super disappointed that I'm going to do it. <laughs> and it was also I could fit in a fucking anime reference the guys mm-hmm. wouldn't shut up about and try and kill them with it. Stay tuned, folks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, you know, the, I, the, there, there, is a, um, there is a cost for trying to kill your players with the things they love. But <laughs> ultimately, that trade-off is worth it. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I definitely, I am a little bit envious of the flexibility and, um, uh, 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 agility that having kind of shorter, shorter arcs, uh, uh, do, do with you. So, so jazz, don't do, don't do what jazz don't, don't cut the, the, the section that I, that I'm thinking about cutting. No, he's, I think he's talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, what's actually happening on the next yes, day? What's, what's, what's happening, happening Thursday? What's happening Thursday that Harlan will be late to because he got free tickets to see the new Thor movie? <laughs> Fucking priorities. Yeah. You I got mean, 15 people. You got 15 people, a rotating cast across multiple states <laughs> that are coming in person. I can't get my guys well, to pass up a 1250 free ticket for a Thursday matinee well, in COVID times. Man. Drinks and food. do not there's come out at once. Food. There's drinks yeah. and food as there's well. There's drinks and food. Oh, did nobody told me there were fucking complimentary <laughs> hot dogs. They have soft pretzels. <laughs> Fuck your podcast, Turner. Um, like I'll, be, I'll be there. If I'll they, be here. If, I'm just, dude, I am just busted your balls. Uh, it's fine. We can, we'll, we'll kill Todd in the meantime. <laughs> not on this one. No, not, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, uh, I t- honestly, I forgot Thor uh, Love and Thunder was coming out. Uh, well, cool, man. Um, so I- any uh, last minute elevator pitch stuff that you want to share about your podcast before we wrap this sucker up? Uh, sure. I'll just do a, a quick, a quick one. Uh, so yeah, uh, I host Trials of the Apocalypse. Uh, we release every other week in every pod catcher. If you look for us, we're there. <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm. Uh, most of our episodes are like eh, about an hour long. It's a little bit longer in the early stuff, but then we get a little bit tighter with our editing. 
Uh, starting with our third arc, we start doing a lot more as far as sound design and music and stuff. We do a little bit of that early on, but we do a lot more in the later stuff. And I mean, if if any of these stories sound interesting to you, then check us out. We've got like fighting a death cult and a green apocalypse. Uh, we've got vampires solve a serial killing in Golden Age Hollywood. Uh, we've got uh, ghost busting on trains. Um, grandmas solve a murder mystery. Um, queer military drama. Uh, Monster of the Week in space. Ooh. Uh, with, with, I, I believe with, it's pronounced in space. <laughs> in our in our promo for that arc, I do the I do the whole echo. Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, and then currently we have magical academics, uh, struggling with an oppressive, absurdist bureaucracy. Uh, a fun plug with that one. I do my best J Jonah Jameson impression for the Dean. So that's Oh, fun. there you go. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, which J Jonah Jameson though? Are we talking about J. Oh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. only, the only J, uh, yes. J. Jonah the only J. Jonah Jameson in my heart. The, the <laughs> only one that matters. Um, well, cool, man. And, and as a, as a personal endorsement, um, I've played with David. He's an incredible player. Um, has a a fantastic grasp of the system. Uh, was a was a delight to get to play Brindlewood Bay with. Um, and if uh, if how much fun I had uh, playing crime solving grandmas with him is any indication to how good he is at at producing and, and running his shows, I can wholeheartedly recommend that you guys check out his stuff. So uh, by all means, head over Trials of the Apocalypse uh, and give him a look. Uh, and as always, thanks for swinging by. Again. Oh, like somebody popped in. Just long enough for for us to say goodbye. In credits, in uh, credits, <laughs> snuck into the movie in. and oh, it was just. There's not an after credit scene, unfortunately, <laughs> unless it's me yelling at Harland offstage. So nice, <laughs> thanks again for coming by, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the stream. End stream now. Boop. <laughs>